Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your buddy Chewy once again, joined by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? I'm doing great tonight. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so it has, uh, it's, it's been a while, right? It seems like we say that every time we get together. Um, let's see, what, what was the last time that we got together? We talked about what? What did we talk about? We talked about uh, the albums, I think. Uh, right. All-time favorite albums. Yeah, right? It was, yes, I, I, had a, I had a wonderful time um, in, in that conversation. I got, a, um, I got a tweet from a buddy of mine um, after I posted that particular episode to, to Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And he said, oh, this, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and in fact, speaking of Twitter, I reached out to the guys from Jacko Pierce on Twitter because both Pip and I had a Jacko Pierce album in our top five. And Jack O'Neill actually listened to the podcast and, and he said uh, he really enjoyed it. And in fact, I think, Matt, you had said that you were waiting for a vinyl version of one of their albums. And he actually said, we're working on that, that vinyl for you. So, which I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to take a hundred percent credit for him actually uh, realizing that it finally needed to be out on vinyl. So when it comes out, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some liner notes that say, you know, thanks to uh, the 406 podcast for finally uh, getting me off my ass to do this vinyl edition. Um, but yeah, no, but in all seriousness, I, I was super psyched not only to, to see him, uh, you know, reply to our, uh, to, to your tweet specifically, but the idea that this album that I've loved so near and dear in my heart um, is is in the works of, of being uh, transferred to vinyl, which is super exciting because I've, I've been a collector of that for the past couple of years now. And, um, you know, that's my preferred format whenever I get a chance. So that that's really cool. It was really fun that, uh, that there was some, something that actually came with the podcast, you know. Yeah, that's cool. So let me ask you a question. And, and we're not we're not talking about albums or vinyl tonight, but explain to me if you can briefly why you enjoy listening on vinyl as opposed to digitally or on CD or, or what have you or cassette or, or what have you. So so for me, the experience is I'm not going to pretend to be an audiophile and know exactly what the difference is between the way that it sounds on vinyl and the way it'll sound through your your you know, your headphones or your computer um, that, you know, there are a lot of people that do say the sound is different and that the, um, that it has a, a warmer sound to it. Uh, you know, that, that sort of leans more towards the, the head, the, the bass, you know, the bass is kind of balanced a little bit differently in records, but for me personally, it's, it's more of just an opportunity to be a collector of music again, because I feel like, you know, back in the day, I used to love to go, it sounds really crazy, but one of my favorite things to do when, when I was getting into music in, in high school and in college was to go from store to store to store to store to find that that one tape or that one CD that I couldn't seem to find anywhere else before the days of the Internet where you could order all that. And the, the gratification was was very instant. Uh, these days, it, it, it's it's back to the basics of having a physical media in your hand and being able to appreciate everything that went into making a record, not just the way that it sounds uh, through your computer, but the liner notes and the artwork and the experience of listening to an album from front to back, I think is, is really what I value the most about it. And, and I've had the opportunity to sit down with my girls and, 
and I'll put an album on and, and they'll say, well, we want to hear this song. I'm like, well, that's not how this works. We got to, you know, you got to, you got to start at the beginning and you got to wait till it gets there. And then my, my youngest will say, Alexa, skip song. And I'm like, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, so it's, it's not from a, it's not so much a sonic uh, desire to go to that format. It's really more, um, I just get to buy music again. I, I'm, I was looking for an excuse to do that. And to, to listen to albums the way they were meant to be listened to as as complete packages. Okay, no, that's that's really cool. So so is it fair? So it's it's fair to say then that it is just as much or at least, at least equally important the the collection aspect as it is the the audio aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of um, a lot of albums when they get remastered these days and put on vinyl they come in special editions. Um, you know, I've, I've bought a, uh, I'm as you know, for anyone who's listened to this knows that I'm obsessed with uh, movie scores and you're probably going to hear a little bit about that again, uh, or a lot about that again in this podcast, but there are certain websites out there that will put out, they will re-release movie scores, but they'll do it with like alternate artwork and, and the records themselves will come in various color variations. So they're not all just black. They, uh, they're like special editions. And I, um, I have uh, I have one album that I, I won't tell you which one it is because it the the movie that it's the soundtrack of does appear on my list, but it comes with like this fun little insert inside of it that that wasn't part of the original uh, score that is just it it's just cool you know it's 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 physical memorabilia that you can have and and hold and collect and um, it's it's kind of hard to come by but uh, and it's not cheap either you know if you're gonna you're going to buy a record these days you're probably going to spend if you're going to buy a new one it, it's you know 25 to 35 dollars or or more if it's if it's got two uh two lps to it so okay all right cool yeah. well um so i guess w without further ado then let's let's get into this evening's topic um this was your choice so i will let you kind of describe it and and kick us off yes i'm so excited so this was this was my choice, and I think I came up with this idea, but I don't remember. We have a whole list of, of potential uh, podcast topics that we've assembled, um, and this is one that I'm. I as soon as that came up, I'm, I got really excited about the idea because it's just it's not a basic top five. It's a little bit different. And tonight's top five is the top five favorite movies that do not have a sequel. Um, and again, we do favorites instead of bests, just because, uh, you know, it's, it's more fun to kind of talk through what all that means. And, and, you know, when it comes to art, there's not, it's not really, uh, objective as much as it is subjective, but so we're, we're going to do our top five. I think I have a couple honorable mentions. If you have any that, you know, we can go through those. If not, that's fine. Um, but alongside this, as, as we end with each one of our choices there, uh, the follow-up question for each one of these is do I want a sequel? Like, do, do I or did I want a sequel for this movie? And if so, why? Or if not, why? So it's, okay. it's, and I think that I know that my list specifically has, you know, that that answer varies depending on the movie and the time frame and, and everything. But, um, but yeah, so that's, I'm excited to, to, to do this. I think it's going to be super fun. Okay, so, so we've got, we've got a top five, and then we've got a couple honorable mentions, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so be, before, before we started recording, you, you asked me, uh, where we started talking about how many overlaps we think we're going to have. And I said, Oh, let's just turn it on. We'll start. We'll, we'll record. No, that was a good idea. That, this is, this um, is the fun part. If let's see. So it is, it's movies that do not have a sequel. Um, 
So, and, and these are our, and just to clarify, these are our favorites. They're not what we're considering the best movies. Right. They're our favorites. Correct. Okay. I mean, if they're both, then that's fine, but right. it's really, right. it's, it's about favorite. Okay. I, there will be at least one. I can Guaranteed. almost guarantee it. I can yeah. almost guarantee it. Um, I will say, I'll say two, okay. just, uh, I'll say two of the top five, which is actually a lot, right? Two out of five. Um, but, I, but I can guarantee, I can pretty much guarantee there's going to be at least one of those top five. It wouldn't even shock me if it's the same number one. So it, it um, could, it could be, um, I, I've been trying to guess what I think you were going to put on your list. And I think I have an idea of a couple that might end up on yours that wouldn't have ended up on mine just okay. based off of the fact that, that we've been uh, in this bromance for, for a couple decades now. <laughs> I feel like we can probably figure that out, but we'll, we'll see okay. if I'm right. All right. So it's, so it's your topic. So I'll give you the choice. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second as we go through these? Um, I will actually, I will defer to you. I would like for you to start with your, uh, your number five pick for your fifth favorite movie that has no sequel. And of course this is as of now, right? Because these right. things can, and, you know, fingers crossed, some of them hopefully will, uh, potentially get sequels at some yeah. point. So okay. by all means, number five, what you got? So, uh, th this is interesting. Um, I'm going through my list. Um, this is the newest of the films on my top five. Um, it is from 2010. It is a movie directed and written by Christopher Nolan. It is Inception. Um, uh, okay. it's, Inception is a movie, if you have not seen it, uh, it stars Leo DiCaprio. And essentially he is, I guess he's a dream thief is the, is the best way I can describe it. So he, he infiltrates the subconscious of his clients, or I guess more, more accurately, his clients' targets. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's almost impossible to describe this movie <laughs> succinctly, right? Um, yes. it, it, is, it is kind of, it's part matrix, it's part you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you know, it's not a horror movie by any stretch. It's it's a straight up kind of action thriller movie. Um, there's a little bit of a, a heist um, storyline to it. Uh, again, st stars Leo DiCaprio, Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ken Watanabe, um, Elliot Page, Tom Hardy. Um, you know, if, if you know Christopher Nolan um, movies, you'll see a lot of those kind of those characters, Michael Caine, Tom Berenger's in it. Um, but just, I remember, ironically enough, the first time I saw this movie, um, I was, um, I was going in for a sleep study, <laughs> ironically enough. And, and I watched this movie as I was falling asleep, which just completely wigged me out um what yeah and and then I, you know i had to the next the next week or whatever it was i i had to you know had to finish it because it was just it was just awesome i just but um yeah love this movie um as for um do i think it should have a sequel or do i want a sequel um i i you know what I would love to see a sequel just because I loved this movie so much. But if I had to vote, I would say, no, I don't want a sequel. If that makes, if that makes sense. I realize I'm kind of contradicting myself. 
Um, it, it really is a, uh, it's a standalone film. It's got a great, um, it's got a great overall story. There's a little bit of uh, towards the, not to spoil it, but it, towards the end, it's a kind of a, not a cliffhanger, but it's a, there's a little bit of unknown there at the end, which, you know, if you're, when you're talking about dreams, dreams are unknown. It's kind of like when you wake up from a dream and you kind of don't remember it. Um, so no, I, I would say, no, I don't want a sequel and number five is Inception. That's a, that's a really interesting choice. Um, I, it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but I remember not understanding a lot of what I saw, but being really intrigued by it because Christopher Nolan is, is a very captivating filmmaker. And yeah, he does use a lot of the same cast members. I mean, I'd, I'd say 80% of the people you named were in one of the Batman movies, probably. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I remember watching that movie and thinking, God, it was really cool. I liked all the performances. I, I still don't think I got it. Like, I, I think there's there's so much to the to the science or the rules that were created behind this story that I, I'm still trying to grasp. But I also really like the fact that, you know, you call that a cliffhanger, but it's it's yeah, it's it, the ending of it is is left to the. Uh, to the viewer's interpretation as to what actually happened, what actually did or did not happen. And I feel like that was a really brave choice by someone like Christopher Nolan. I mean, he had had his credibility by then, so I feel like he can kind of get away with that. But there were a lot of people that walked out of there frustrated because they didn't get the answer. They weren't told exactly what happened. And I think it's really interesting and and brave that he he basically said, I'm just going to leave this up to your interpretation of it, you, you, the viewer. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. Tip, typically, I'm a big, um, I'm a big movie ending guy, right? Like, if you, if you if you watch a movie the entire way through and it's great, and then the movie the ending sucks, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who's like, ah, that movie sucks, right? Um, th- but this one, to your point, didn't really give you an answer, and I, and I was okay with that. Um, w- one other thing about this flick, you mentioned your love of movie scores. Um, it's scored by Hans Zimmer, uh, you know, and, and there's, there, I mean, there's a bunch of awesome tunes on there. There's one specifically called time, which you, you have probably heard it and not even realized kind of what it's from. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's only what, 20, 20 years old or 10 years old at this point. It's, but it's, um, I would call it an iconic piece of music, but it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is really good. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, then I will, I will try to follow up the best I can with my number five. Uh, this is a movie that, uh, oh crap, I didn't write the year down. Um, it was obviously in the mid eighties, uh, at some point it was directed by Richard Donner. And I, I think, I guess maybe before I reveal it, um, a, a handful of my movies that are on my list, including one of my honorable mentions, there are some, there are some pretty consistent themes here. And one of the themes is, uh, coming of age stories about kids growing up and about kids um, experiencing things together, you know, great adventures and things like that. Those were some of the stories that, that kind of really captured my attention when I was younger. And and this one is uh, the Goonies by Richard Donner. Um, This had obviously a huge cast, Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Corey Feldman, Jeff Cohen, who, who hasn't really gone on to much acting wise, uh, but I believe he's a, he's like a Hollywood lawyer or Hollywood attorney or maybe an agent or something like that. He works in the business, but not in, uh, not behind, not in front of the camera. Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, Kei Kwan, also known as uh, Short Round from the uh, Temple of Doom. 
Um, <laughs> this score was really great. It was by someone named David Grusin, who I, I'm not familiar with. I don't know anything else he's done, but it was a really, really good score and something that's really fun to listen to. But I mean, everybody knows Goonies. Um, I said coming of age before. This is sort of a coming of age treasure hunting adventure. Uh, you know, that included a bunch of friends who were desperate to, to save their homes in their in their hometown. But I think one of the things that really strikes me about this so many years later is that it's it's really rare that a, that a movie like this um, has so many interesting characters, has so many characters, but they're also very interesting and such a unique and indelible chemistry with each other. Right. Like. Like there were, how many did I name? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I think seven of the Goonies at least. And, and all of the way that they all worked together was nobody sort of fell by the wayside. I, I think that they all had very prominent roles and they were all very important to each other in that whole story. And I, I just, it, it was so much fun to watch as a kid. Um, it holds up really well, in my opinion. I, not a lot of 80s movies do, but I think this one really does. And, and not just because it was fun when it was younger, but I think this is one of those movies that when I show my girls, like they're going to love it. And they're going to watch it a million times. Um, and I think that uh, I think it's interesting. My, one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is the, the scene at the end where they turn around to see the pirate ship for the first time it turns out that that was the first time that any of the actors actually saw that pirate ship, which was a full scale sized pirate ship that they built for that, for that purpose. And they captured their very first reaction seeing that, um, which really just oh, endeared really me cool. to, yeah. And it really endeared me to Richard Donner and, and he became one of my favorite directors after that movie. And, and, you know, he did Superman and, and a bunch of other movies that I really like. Um, so that's, that's my number five. Now, do I want a sequel? Um, this is an interesting one because, uh, technically it has one, um, but not really. It's, uh, on the NES, uh, Nintendo entertainment system, they did make a video game called Goonies two, uh, <laughs> which was one of the first times I think a, a movie ever got adapted into a sequel in video game form. Um, but this has long, long been rumored, probably more so than any other movie that I have on my list. I don't think there have been any more discussions around any of my other movies than this one in terms of them wanting a sequel, you know, like everybody wanting to see a sequel. But I think uh, I, it's been talked about a lot, but I don't think they were ever able to come to a conclusion on a story that uh, everybody liked enough to want to do it. I think Spielberg at one point was interested. I know Donner was, and I, I can't imagine the actors wouldn't do it. I think it's actually Warner Brothers that, that didn't see it happening. Uh, which in today's world seems crazy because of all the 80s nostalgia and all the things we're bouncing back to. I would love to see a sequel to this movie and to see, I don't know if they could do a really great one with all of them being so old at this point, but I would be interested. Uh, to yeah. See I mean, what you're, you, what you're almost 40 years out, right? Yeah. It was, 80, yeah. It was 85. Yeah. So, so and you, obviously so their got... parents and it's, and the story is yeah. probably not going to revolve around them specifically. And I think a big factor here is that Richard Donner is actually going to be 91 years old this year. Um, wow. So I, I don't see his involvement in, in that at this point. I, I can't imagine that someone that old can, can get behind the helm and direct a movie again, but I, I would love to see one. I would love to see how they would, how they would do another adventure with that same cast of characters or maybe their kids or something like that. But I suppose maybe in a weird sort of way, maybe we got uh, with, with infinity war and Endgame, we got, we got the sequel to Goonies with, with, uh, with Thanos <laughs> collecting all of his, um, all of his, all of his um, stones. Right. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's very. I mean, that that's another example of a of a very big cast that has great chemistry with each other. Um, well, I'm saying jo- Josh Brolin was Thanos, though, is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, he was, <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Good point. Sorry, I didn't make that uh, connection right away. But yes, very uh, very true. When he's not hanging out with Deadpool, he's uh, he's trying to destroy the universe elsewhere. So, yeah, that's my number five. And 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 just kind of a cool. Um, you know, Pip and I are both huge Beverly Hills 90210 fans. Um, <laughs> J- J- Josh Brolin's character in in uh, in the Goonies is named Brandon Walsh, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. So <laughs> that is that is amazing. Um, okay, let's see. So on to my number four. Um, this is let's see here. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to see if if I've got any kind of themes. Um, not, not, not really. Um, I guess I've got kind of action and comedy, but I don't have any kind of through line the way you did. Um, so number four is a 1999 movie. Um, it was, it was actually a kind of a box office bust and it was written and directed by Mike judge who most people know him from Beavis and butthead fame, but this is called office space. Um, this this movie again came out in 1999 this is probably one of those films that um if you have not if you are younger if you haven't graduated from college and you've never worked in an office environment right this is going to kind of miss you The, the overwhelming majority of the humor in here um obviously is geared towards somebody that works in an office similar to the way you know the 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 office uh, TV show with with Steve Carell worked. Um, this actually stars. It's got a, it's got a, a pretty pretty good cast as well. Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, Gary Cole, Stephen Root, um, Dietrich Badger. Uh, you know, it it tells the story and, and it follows um, Ron Livingston as he kind of goes through uh, a, a typical days and weeks at at the office. He gets hypnotized. And essentially, he stops caring about the, the normal stuff that, that we care about, right? That make our lives kind of uh, irritating, for lack of a better term. And, and it totally changes his life, right? It, um, he, he goes to work, and instead of, you know, being all dressed up, he, you know, he wears uh, shorts and flip-flops, and he takes, you know, two-hour lunches, and it's just... Again, I'm not, I'm not doing it justice, but um, it's, it is hilarious. It holds up really, really well, especially the longer you work in an office environment. The jokes really, really hit um, really well. There is some stuff now that is pretty outdated, um, you know, floppy disks and, and those kind of things. But um, if you've ever worked in an office environment, office space is, is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, you know, they've, they had conversations. Mike judge had, had conversations about doing a sequel and I I don't think he ever really, um, was interested in it, especially after it kind of bombed theatrically. Um, do I want a sequel to it? No, I would say I don't. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. No, I, I don't want to see one. So office space is, it's a great selection. I think, I think the trickiest part with having a sequel to a comedy is, is repeating sort of the same beats and being able to keep it fresh for the audience. Um, 
I, I don't know of a lot of comedies that have sequels that really do this effectively. So I, I would sort of agree that I don't think it, it needs or probably should get a sequel, but I, I definitely agree. It's a fantastic movie. It's iconic to our generation, I think. And it's one of those movies that I guarantee if you've never worked in an office, then you, you just won't appreciate this movie. Like there's, there's so much humor that's based so, uh, directly on what it's like to have a nine to five job where you have to check in every morning at eight and leave every afternoon at five and, and all of that. But it's, um, it's, it's right on par. I mean, I don't know anybody who does work in an, in an office that doesn't have some of these experiences with some of the characters or some of the habits, uh, or the, the, the monotone boss who comes around and, uh, you know, asks what you're doing, but seems to be somewhat inept with his, his own abilities to be a leader and things like that. So yeah, that's, I, that's a great choice. I love office space. Cool. All right, sir. You're number four. All right. So my number four breaking a little bit from the trends that I had talked about earlier, this one is sort of the, the black sheep of the group, but it's, it's the, I think if I'm looking, it is the newest one on my entire list. And it is from uh, 2005, directed by a guy named Francis Lawrence, who I, I'm not familiar with, so I'm, I can't quote his other works. But this was a movie that kind of came out of nowhere that I don't even remember what possessed me to go see it, probably the trailer. And I went and saw it, and I fell in love with it immediately. Uh, it's uh, Constantine, uh, the movie starring Keanu Reeves and Rachel Wise and Shia LaBeouf and Tilda Swinton, uh, Demon Hunsu, I think is his name. Uh, Gavin Rossdale, like a, a pretty impressive sized cast, honestly. Um, Constantine was based off of the comic book Hellblazer, um, where where the main character, John Constantine, is an occult detective. Uh, and in this movie, he's basically attempting to uh, rid the world of demons in an attempt to win back his own soul. Um, but this, not similar to Inception, but not, not, not at all in story parallels, um, similar in that there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, there are a lot of interesting sort of um, side quests, if you will, for the, the various characters. But everything from, uh, you know, the son of Lucifer trying to break into the new into the real world uh, to the nefarious motives of the archangel Gabriel and even a final showdown between Constantine and uh, the little horn himself, Satan. Um, it's, it's just, I, I don't know. I think it's the way that this movie was filmed and probably my forever Hollywood man crush on Keanu, I, I guess is, uh, is, is probably the reason that I love this. I can't really fault him for anything. I, I, I don't think he's, he's the world's most talented actor, but what he does, he does really well. And, and, and the roles that they cast him well in, he's, he's fantastic. Um, and he plays this role as well as anyone could. Although I, I did hear a rumor that Nick Cage was rumored to be the first choice for this role. And I assume that's, that's shortly before his Hollywood star started to uh, fall a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I think Keanu has a ton of charisma in this movie and it's, it's, it's really telling that, um, you know, his character is, um, is, is really a, a deplorable person but he the charisma that he has is is something that really kind of pulls in the viewer and and gets them interested in the story uh, the box office was pretty lukewarm i think this was i don't know if this was considered a bomb but it, it didn't really make a lot of money which is probably the single most reason any movie doesn't get a sequel 
Um, and Keanu can be kind of polarizing as an actor, as an action star for a lot of people. But, um, and I think another thing that I will mention is that the Hellblazer comic books, for those who are familiar with it, the character in that comic book was not Keanu Reeves. It was not a, uh, it was not a tall, slender, uh, dark-haired American. It was, it was a short, spiky-haired uh, British um, character who, who is more like Billy Idol than, than Keanu Reeves. So I think people who were, who were beholden to the source material probably didn't uh, take the transition very well, which I wouldn't blame them for. If I had even known it was a comic book, I might have not liked the, the choice, but I, I didn't know. It, it came completely fresh to me. So, um, so that was that. So do, do I want a sequel to this? Would I want one? It's probably too late at this point. The movie is 16 years old, um, but I've wanted one for a long while. I thought that this was certainly a story that could have been told multiple times or at least uh, gone different directions past where this movie ended. And, and it, interestingly enough, it is a comic that lives in the DC universe. And this character has shown up in various TV shows, certainly not as Keanu Reeves, but as, uh, as something a little bit more faithful to the source material. So I wouldn't say it's off the off the books that they may reboot it at some point. I don't think we'll see a sequel with Keanu Reeves, but um, yeah, 2005's Constantine is my number four. Very cool. I, I so I, I have I have actually never seen that movie. Um, I, I am I'm familiar-ish with the character. Uh, the so a couple couple notes. The director is Fr Francis Lawrence. He actually directed I Am Legend, the the Will Smith film. Got it. So that, that's the only other thing I know him from. Constantine, the, the comic character, was actually uh, written by Alan Moore, who, is, who wrote um, Watchmen, uh, Batman the Killing Joke, sure. um, Vendetta, and those kind of things. Um, kind of a grumpy old guy, but, uh, but has some really, really amazing characters. And ironically enough, I just, uh, I just Googled Constantine and... Uh, five hours ago, Deadline.com posted Constantine reboot in the works at HBO Max from J.J. Abrams, Bad Robot with Guy Bolton set as director. So I, I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a reboot of the movie of a show of the comic, but um, there it's, it looks like there is there is renewed interest in Constantine, which is kind of cool. That's a good. I'm, pick. Sure, I'm sure this will come up again through a couple of our movies from now until the end of this list, but. You know, with the advent of of digital media and the net and the streaming services, Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all of those, I I think a lot of these properties will probably get some some consideration for sequels or additional material or reboots in ways that they never would have seen it before. You know, like Constantine is one that I think would actually probably play better as a as a online series versus maybe another movie sequel i would still prefer you know selfishly i would like a movie sequel because i like yeah. Keanu reeves but i think if they rebooted this um it would it would probably play better as a series that went from episode to episode you know more of an episodic format if you will that's um, cool all so right. yeah all right give us your number cool. three all right number three uh let's see number three is a 2003 film Again, another comedy. Uh, it was directed and co-written by Todd Phillips. It stars Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and Will Ferrell. It is old school. Um, old school, it, it, you know, you know, 
again, those those three actors, Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and, and Will Ferrell, uh, essentially they're depressed guys in their what? I don't know, late 30s, mid 30s, what have you. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to relive their their college days, something that Pip and I know have, have talked about often, <laughs> often in the past. Once or twice. Uh, Right. But, but, you know, but they actually go the extra mile and they essentially go back to school and they, they don't go to school, but they start a fraternity and, and it is the, the kind of the the shenanigans that, that ensue. Um, It's, it's hilarious, especially if you're, if you're coming to it and watching it as a 30 something or 40 something year old male, um, you know, th- this is one of those movies that I, I've, I, for years, I said, why don't they make a sequel to that? Why don't they make a sequel to that? And, and it turns out that in 2006, which would have been just a couple of years after it came out, they, um, they wrote it, they wrote a sequel to it and both Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn turned it down. Uh, the, the sequel was going to be them going on spring break. And, you know, it's, it's like you said, Matt, you know, when, when you do a comedy, it's really tough to do a sequel that doesn't just hit all the same notes, right? And that's basically what they said. It was, you know, it was basically the same movie, but just at a different set piece. Um, I, I, would, I would say that I would love to see a sequel to it, um, you know, but I, but I understand why, why there hasn't been one at this point. So uh, my number three is old school. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie and one that I think if they would have struck when the iron was hot, I think they could have gotten away with it. I think now it, it's probably a little bit too late to consider that. But yeah, again, to your point and to the conversation that we've had, um, making a sequel out of a comedy, you're, you're destined to repeat the same beats a la Austin Powers, right? Like, I mean, you can almost go scene for scene is, is just a repeat of the previous movie with, with maybe a different character or a different punchline. But everything feels very familiar and that formula does work to an extent, but it turns on you pretty quickly. Yeah, Um, it does. And, and, and that's Austin powers is a little different because it's more character driven and, and there's more to play with there. Whereas these are, you know, this is set in a, you know, quote unquote, realistic universe. Right. Um, But, but it's a fantastic movie and it's, it's one of, you know, like comedies for me in my, I don't know, late 20s early 30s sort of got really formulaic and repetitive and I just didn't I didn't I don't know if I didn't get them or I just didn't jive with them or whatever but old school was one of those like sort of the 40 year old virgin was one of those where it was just like yeah that one I get like that one I understand everything sort of came together in a way that the humor hit all the uh, the right spots and um and that was definitely one of those that I, I liked a lot and would have been happy to have seen a sequel to. And I think that they could have done fun stuff with it. But again, like, you know, like Step Brothers is another one of those movies where, you know, that that could have ended up an honorable mention on mine because I love Step Brothers, but that's one that they've been talking about a sequel for a while. And they're just like, but what are we going to do? Like, right. how do you, right. how do you tell a, an, another story and keep it fresh, but, you know, still retain the same comedic, um, integrity that the first one had you know comedy is all about catching you off guard but once but once you've once you've gotten your feedback underneath you that it's it just doesn't work the same way so for sure but great movie fantastic choice all right sir what's your number three all right my number three we're getting into the meat and potatoes here i'm i'm excited about this so uh number three 
you, uh, I, I don't know if you know this ab about my uh, movie collecting history, but my this my number three was the first movie that I ever purchased on DVD, and it was the this was before I owned a DVD player, but I knew I was going to have one at some point someday, so I bought this DVD first. This is out of 1984. This is another story that could be considered a coming of age um, about a about a kid who wants bigger and better things for his life, and and this is the last Starfighter. Um, starring Lance Guest, Dan O'Herlihy, uh, Robert Preston, and uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. She was in uh, a handful of 80s movies. She was in, well, I don't think Weekend of Bernie's was an 80s movie, but she was in that. She was in Night of the Comet. She was uh, in, in a handful of things. Uh, directed by Nick Castle, who is interesting. Um, Nick Castle is also known as the guy who played Michael Myers in the first Halloween movie. Uh, and actually the, the most recent Halloween movie yeah. too, they, yeah. they recast him or he at least did the, um, the mask, the scenes without the mask, but the last Starfighter for me, you know, if, if I'm being honest, is it a great movie? I don't know, probably not, but it's one that I watched when I was young and it, it's, it's about a kid who, who lives in a very scenic, uh, trailer park. Uh, who dreams about getting out only to find that his his ticket is punched after getting a high score on a stand-up arcade game in his park. And I mean, like, what could be more in my wheelhouse than something like that, right? Like, you mean all I have to do is play a video game and then I get to go to space and fight bad guys? Uh, yeah, sure, sign me up. Um, but I love this because in 1984, I was eight years old and I wanted nothing more than to get off this planet and go fight bad guys in the stars, right? Uh this movie just has such a such a really sweet charm to it that I've never really been able to identify, but I've always identified with. Um, Robert Preston was so good in this film. I, I, I haven't seen everything that he's done, but um, um, this I, I think this was one of the last films that he did. I don't think he did many more after this. I think he passed away after that. Um, the ending battle for this was a little anticlimactic, but um, you know, they, they stuck the ending really well when when the, the lead character, Alex Rogan, returns to the trailer park to say goodbye. Um, but, you know, I think that the biggest um, the biggest uh, tick mark against this movie is that people have said that it's very heavily derivative of Star Wars, which is by no means unfair. Uh, it did came out and come out in 1984 and it did sort of write the coattails of the science fiction um, fantasy wave in the early 80s. Uh, the special effects, if you watch it now, it's definitely very much dated, but back then there weren't many movies using computer animation to do dig digital effects uh, to this level, you know, certainly not 1984. Um, I, I did a little research and Gene Siskel actually called this one of his guilty pleasure movies, despite it being a Star Wars ripoff, which I thought was really funny because I don't feel like this is a movie that critics would really appreciate, but I think it speaks to the heart of, of what the movie was. It only made about $28 million North America, but I mean, that's in 1984, that's not a bad take, but no, not I think they spent a lot on special effects. So I don't think they made very much money. And ultimately I, I don't think it was super popular. Um, as for sequels, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about sequels. I think even Spielberg himself has expressed interest in, in being involved in a story that follows up this movie. And I, and weirdly enough, Seth Rogen, uh, speaking of the 40 year old virgin, uh, has, has been involved in trying to get uh, involved with creating a, a sequel to this movie. Um, but nothing has ever gotten off the ground at this point. I doubt very seriously it will. 
I'm a big believer in that. I only want sequels if they star the people who are in the first movie. And at this point, I don't know if Lance Guest is, uh, you know, in in prime star fighting shape at this point. But um, yeah, growing up, I, I love this movie. I made my parents rent it from the video store all the time until it finally came on HBO and we could record it on our VCR. But the last Starfighter from 1984 is is still to this day such an amazing movie. And I I skipped this part, but I would uh, I I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. The score is fantastic. The Craig Craig Saffin I think is his name has such an amazing score for this movie that I just I think it's absolutely brilliant. So that's that's my number three. Yeah, I I, I if I would have. You know, been kind of writing down what I thought your list was going to be. I knew this one was going to be on there. Um, I, I'll be honest with you; I probably haven't seen this movie since like 1986. I mean, it's been, <laughs> you know, and I've probably only seen it maybe two or three times ever. Um, <clears throat> just just doing some Wikipediaing while you is that a verb? Uh, while you're talking, the the novelization yeah. of this was actually written by Alan Dean Foster, who oh. wrote. Uh, who wrote Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the, essentially the the sequel to Star Wars, uh, it didn't end up being made. It was it ended up being Empire Strikes Back, which let's be honest, Empire was like probably the greatest Star Wars movie ever. But whatever, I just, you know, it's uh, it's amazing how there's so many kind of crossovers in in the, the worlds that we grew up watching yeah. and loving. So yeah, for sure, that was a fun one. Good pick. Um, okay. So let's see. I'm on to my number two now. Um, this is 1994. Um, this is, which is the the year that we both graduated from high school. Um, it is an action movie starring in my opinion, one of the greatest action heroes of all time, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was written and directed by James Cameron this is True Lies. Um, True Lies, again, stars, stars Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Arnold. Uh, you got appearances in there from Bill Paxton, Elijah Dushku, uh, and believe it or not, Charlton Heston. Um, it, it tells the story of Schwarzenegger who plays a guy named Harry, Harry Tasker, who he essentially is a spy and not even his family knows that he is a spy. So he's this like badass secret agent and he's he's playing a character or a role of, I think he's a copier salesman or something like that. And um, it, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a great action movie. The, the cast is really good. Um, it, it holds up really, really well. Um, and it's it, it's just one of those films that, you know, there's, there's enough action in there to keep you satisfied as an action fan. There's enough comedy in there with Tom Arnold to, you know, to, to make you giggle every now and then. Um, and again, I, I really do think it's, it's one of Schwarzenegger's best action movies. Uh, I was really bummed for a long time that they didn't make a sequel to it. Um, they, they had actually approached James Cameron and Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis several years later and in fact they i think they even got to a script and then um september 11th happened and james cameron since then has essentially said hey i've, I've really just kind of changed my tune on uh movies about terrorists 
And I just, I just don't think I can make another, you know, another terrorist central uh, movie after, after 9-11, which, which I can respect. Um, I'm really bummed that they didn't make a movie or a sequel to it. I would like to see a sequel to it. Um, but, but I understand why he, he can't make it. I get it. So, but number two is my, is true lies. I love it. That is a fantastic movie. I'm that's probably, if I had to guess, if I had to look through your entire list and my entire list, that's going to be the one that I would be the most surprised that never got a sequel. Because I mean, let's be honest, James Cameron's not afraid of sequels by any means. I mean, he did, no, Ali- no, no, he, no. He did aliens, which to be fair, he didn't do the first alien movie. Uh, but he did the sequel. And of course, you know, he was riding high off of the massive success of, of arguably one of the greatest sequels of all time. Sorry, Empire Strikes Back fans, but like Terminator 2 was an amazing oh, movie. Yeah. Damn it. And, and arguably uh, a sequel that far surpassed, far surpassed the original. Um, that's, a, that's another podcast all in itself. Sequels yeah, and, and one that I think we should definitely tackle. But I mean... Yeah. The fact that they never revisited that, especially with, you know, I mean, Schwarzenegger was sort of getting towards the twilight of his action star career at that point. But I mean, you know, the chemistry of the, the actors on set and the, the big budget um, extravaganza of it all, I'm just really surprised that that never got made. And I think for years and years and years, I've heard that they were toying with the idea in one fashion or another. So I guess, I guess Cameron is just too obsessed with going, you know, trying to make more of those movies with all the blue people in them. Uh, Cause he's got like three sequels allegedly, uh, you know, lined up for avatar, which to me is just. It's so maybe bad. We should, maybe we should do a list someday of movies that why the hell does anybody think these movies are good or, or the most overrated movies of all time. And avatar would probably be on my I, I fell asleep during Avatar. I was so bored. It was Dances with Wolves with Blue People. I, I mean, just, it was boring. But yeah. it must have resonated for some reason. because it a shit was, ton of money, yeah. It was like the biggest selling movie of all time and, until like, I, I don't even know, like maybe Force Awakens, I think, came and made, there weren't very many movies that made like a billion dollars. And I think that one maybe yeah. had been the first one. But anyways, um, no, True Lies is a fantastic movie. Jamie Lee Curtis was the standout for me in that movie. I thought she was fantastic. I've always really, really liked her and everything that she's done. And I think that she brought a lot of, you know, female strength to that movie, which, you know, Cameron is very known for, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, making- she was, she was hot in that oh, movie. She was white hot in that movie. <laughs> she when, she, when she took off her nerd glasses and, and oh. got into that dress and danced around for a all, I mean, yeah, that that worked. They, that worked really well. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a great pick. All right. Uh, so far, no overlaps. What so far, do... no overlaps. But here's our first overlap. Here, Here it, is. it is. Here's your number I think, two. I, I think you were hoping this was going to be my number one, and it was it was close, but it, it's not. Um, this one is the one that will be on both of our lists unequivocally. No concerns there. This is 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. Um, you and I have a bigger love affair with this movie, I think, than any other two men on the planet. Other than maybe Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> John Carpenter being the director, Kurt Russell being the star, along with Dennis Dunn, Kim Cattrall, and uh, James Hong. James No Touch Hong. Um, that one's just for us. Uh, John Carpenter obviously uh, did the score as well, which he's very famous for. He does the scores to most of his movies. And, and that's the, uh, 
that's the album that I was listening to as I, I was doing all the data mining for my uh, for my picks. Um, that that's the record that I have that has this really cool insert um, of uh, it says Egg Shin tour tour bus rentals and stuff like that, and it's this really cool thing. Um, but this movie was so good. I, I don't think there is a more quotable cult classic movie than this movie. Um, it only made $11 million in the box office, which is terrible. And, and there's a whole article about why it did so bad. And that I, I think it was because 20th Century Fox like tanked it on purpose, or at least that's the rumor. There's some really good um, stuff written, I think maybe even on Rolling Stone, or maybe it was another website uh, that talked a lot about, but it was a huge commercial failure. But it it is absolutely the definition of a cult classic because it took off in the home video market. Like it, it got a really huge following there. I think the issue was that they maybe didn't promote it at all. And it was uh, up against some other pretty tough movies. Um, but Kurt, Kurt Russell is nothing short of brilliant as, as the bravely inept uh, Jack Burton uh, fighting alongside his friend Wang Chi uh, to get his fiance back. I mean, the movie is pretty silly. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's the great, the greatest story that has ever been told, but it's this really interesting, it's like this wonderful action movie with a Western feel set in the world of six demon bags and Chinese mysticism. I mean, it's, it's just so, and neon lights flashing in the background in San Francisco, China, San Francisco, Chinatown. It's, it's just so great. Um, one of the interesting things that I, one of the things that I do think is interesting is the movie starts sort of with, with the, with the pro, uh, with the epilogue, I think. And the movie starts with Egg Shen talking to, I don't know who this guy ever is really, but he's, he's talking he's to a somebody. lawyer. He's like, he's, okay, a he's a lawyer. I don't know if yeah. he's a lawyer or like an FBI agent, but they're looking for Jack Burton. And I think that would sort of be the ideal stepping stone to, to launch into a sequel. Um, and, and sadly it, it never happened. Uh, well, an official sequel was obviously never made, but, there have been a lot of rumors of, uh, you know, another movie coming out featuring The Rock, which, you know, I love The Rock. I, I will back him all day long as an action star, but I want him nowhere near any of this, to be honest with you, just because it's so near and dear to my heart. Um, but there have been some continuations of the story in comic book form, which have been interesting. One of my friends gifted me a Big Trouble Little China comic book that had two separate stories in it uh, that were interesting that took place after the events of, uh, of the movie. Um, do I want a sequel? Absolutely. But if it doesn't have Kurt Russell and Dennis Dunn in it, and even Kim Cattrall, then I don't want anything to do with it. Like, and I don't know if, if Kurt Russell could lend anything to, to what Jack Burton is these days, but I, you know, I'm a purist, man. I, I want my sequels to have my actors in them and, and preferably John Carpenter. I think the, um, the combination of all of those factors would need to be in place for me to get excited about a sequel for this movie. But this movie is amazing. It's it's still one of my absolute favorites of all time. Yeah, it. Uh, so again, not not to to bury the lead. This this is my number one. Big Trouble in Little China is my number one. I knew for a fact this 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 was going to be on your list. Um, everything you just said there is one hundred percent accurate. I love this film. It it holds up really, really well because it was dated back then, right? It was dated <laughs> yeah. in 84 or 85, you know, when it, when it came out. Um, you know, it, it is, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, not only for the, for the stories that he tells, but the scores that he builds and, and, and those kind of things. 
you know, Matt Pip and I were lucky enough. We uh, we attended a a, a Comic Con in Indianapolis, and and we got to meet some of the actors from this film. We got our picture taken um, with with one of the main characters, kind of in his in his um, in his movie getup, which was which was just really really awesome. Um, I, I would agree with you that I would love to see a sequel, but I do not want to see a sequel with The Rock in it. I don't want to see a sequel that does not contain Kurt Russell as Jack Burton. Um, you know, I, I suppose they could do some sort of thing where it was Kurt Russell as Jack Burton and then The Rock kind of took over and, and had his own adventure. But I, I am not interested in the slightest of having The Rock play Jack Burton. That, that to me, would be sacrilege. Um, I'm actually okay that it never got a sequel. I would like to see it just because I love the movie, but I'm it, it to me, it is almost a perfect standalone cheesy action 80s movie. Um, the cast is great. Um, again, Kurt Russell stands out in this. I mean, this is in, in my mind, I, I wrote a blog post years and years ago on 406northlane.com about definitive roles for for actors which would could be another awesome podcast i think but to me this is the definitive role of kurt russell he he's had some other great roles uh, snake plissken comes to mind but to me he kurt russell is jack burton and um yeah it's i love this film it's it's he, amazing he just brings such a, a wonderful energy to it in a different way that I don't think anybody else could play it. And um, yeah, nobody else could, could be Jack Burton like he was Jack Burton. So the only way to do this properly would be a proper sequel. And to be honest, I think they could do it. I don't think they ever would just because I don't, they would have to attach some other sort of rock Dwayne Johnson level talent to it to get anybody interested in it. Um, because it yeah. didn't, it didn't do great box office. It did pretty terrible box office. So like, there's no desire to, to make a sequel to this movie this many years later, but yeah. So, so the, 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 the latest, so in, in 2015, Dwayne Johnson said that he was developing a remake to star as Jack Burton. Right. Then in 2018, they, they clarified and they said it'll be a sequel. It will be a continuation of the previous film. Um, they're not going to replace Kurt Russell as Jack Burton. It'll be a follow-up. Now, a lot has happened, obviously, in the world and specifically in the movie industry since 2018. But So, so that's kind of the latest. Um, you know, hey, I, I think you're right. I think they could do it. And I think, you know, a, a guy like The Rock, you know, is the, is the kind of... Um, superstar that would bring bring eyes to that quote-unquote franchise um but again i, I don't want to see him as jack burton well if we do then it's a reboot it's not a sequel right and right. and nobody i can't imagine anybody wants to see a reboot of this movie like it, there's right. nothing you can't retell this story and and capture the same magic that john carpenter and kurt russell and kim cattrall and all those actors did like it's 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 special because of the way that it's rooted in 1986. I mean, it's, you, you just can't recreate that the same way. Yeah. 
it would be an ultimate failure, I think. Or if it did succeed, it would succeed for reasons that had nothing to do why we love the original. So it is what it is. I don't think we'll see one, but you know. All right. we'll, uh, we'll do that. So, I mean, what, what else, anything else you have to add? I feel like I, I stole your thunder. No, 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 not at all. I, again, I, I knew that there would, you know, when I sat down to do this list, I knew there would be at least one and that was going to be the one. So um, no, again, great movie. I, I actually watch it relatively regularly. Uh, you know, I come back to it at least once a year. In fact, I, I showed my boys this film, it's got to be a while ago. It's probably five or maybe four or five years ago, which at the time they would have been like nine, seven, you know, and, and my little guy, I, I haven't shown, but they were scared of it at, the, at that time. Right. It, it starts out and there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of not war, but there's a lot of guns and, and blood and this, that, and the other thing. Um, at this point now, my oldest is 14. My youngest is 12. It, it's, it's about time to reintroduce them to this movie because I think at this point they will absolutely love it. This would be one of those movies that I think if I watched it for the first time as an adult, I would still really love this movie because I'd be like, what the hell is happening here? Like yeah. Yeah. a bunch of guys are walking down an alley and all of a sudden these guys who you expect to, to start throwing down some, some serious Kung Fu, start whipping out these submachine guns and shooting each other. Yeah. And none of it makes sense, but it's just so glorious in all of its nonsensical chaos. It's, yeah, it's, 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 amazing. it's surreal for sure. So, all right, sir, what uh, you, you got one left. What do you got? I do. All right. So here's my number one. And and this is one that I think is fair to say both my favorite and probably in my humble opinion, the best movie that never got a sequel. Uh, out of 1982, it is the uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Um, Steven Spielberg, I mean, enough said there. This man sort of completely defined what it was for me to be a kid or at least defined the movie going experience for me as a child. Uh, written by Melissa Matheson, who I think is um, also known as being one of Harrison Ford's first wives. Um, produced by Steven Spielberg and uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who we would know as to uh, take over Lucasfilm. Stars Henry Thomas, Dee Wallace, Drew Barrymore, uh, Peter Coyote, uh, Robert McNaughton, and a, uh, um, a handful of other people, not too many actually. Uh, John Williams did the score. John Williams, I've, I've gone on record as saying he's he's my single biggest, well, he's now currently my single biggest living musical influence. It was Eddie Van Halen, and Eddie Van Halen is sadly in the great beyond. John Williams, who is, uh, I believe, 90 years old this year, is is the next one for me who has influenced more for me musically than anybody. And this is an absolutely breathtaking score from from top to bottom. It's one of those that you can listen to the score and see the movie playing in your head as it's going. But the interesting, I mean, this, this movie is a great mix of terrifying, you know, right. It's, it's pretty scary in the beginning when, uh, you know, all the adults are sort of filmed from the waist down as chasing ET through the forest when he lands and him and his, his clan are trying to collect all these plants and stuff. And it's, it's pretty scary how he's running around. And, and of course that, that, that iconic scene in the, uh, when Elliot finds him in the cornfield and he, he kind of freaks out and everyone's screaming. I remember being terrified by that when I was a kid, but there's a lot of comedy comedy in the movie as well with ET's sort of fish out of water experience, you know, as he's drinking beer and he's, he's, you know, learning about the, the world that Elliot lives in. 
And then of course the sadness, you know, that goes on the emotion that goes uh, with the, uh, you know, when ET dies, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it. Um, and then of course he comes back to life, but then when he leaves at the end, like I'm still not capable of watching that scene at the end and not crying. Like, I lose my shit every single time because it's really just that emotional. But I think one of my favorite things is that I think Steven Spielberg really captured what it was like to be a kid in the eighties. And, and his, his, footprints are very evident over everything that he has any involvement with. Um, and, and it plays this well still so many years later. Like I, I can, I can immediately go back to what it was like being a kid wishing I had something bigger and better and more supernatural and more space. Like, you know, when I, you know, when I was younger, I used to daydream about that stuff all the time, whether it was lightsabers and stormtroopers or whether it was befriending an alien, you know, that kind of thing was just so, fascinating to me um and it, it does continue a theme of many spielberg movies about a young child without you know a father figure present i think that that's something that um he did a lot in his movies back then um one of the interesting things that i read about this movie is it was shot roughly in chronological order to make sure that all the reactions from all the child actors were were genuine or as genuine as they could be uh, which was which was interesting um notoriously uh one of the reputations this movie has the only bad reputation i think is that it has the worst uh video game adaptation in the history of cinema the et <laughs> game for atari is is known as probably the single most disgraceful video game to have ever uh, crossed the home console platforms there's a whole documentary on it if you want to watch it. I don't remember what it's called, but it's really fascinating about how they buried a bunch of video games and then dug them up many years later. Um, I think a sequel was discussed at one point in a treatment allegedly was written uh, between Spielberg and Matheson, but I think they very, very smartly decided against it, which leads to my last, uh, my last point. Do I want a sequel? No, absolutely not. The greatest thing about this movie is that they never tried to continue the story. And it breaks my heart in a way because I have often sort of daydreamed about what, how they could make a sequel and what they would do if they did. And the closest thing we got to that was a, a Xfinity Christmas ad. I think if anybody remembers, like they did, a, ago, yeah. they did a, a long spot where Henry Thomas came back and they did an ET thing. And, it, it had a, a tiny bit of charm to it, but none of the magic of, of what that movie was. But um, that, that movie is still so very special to me. And I haven't shown my kids yet just because they, they watch TV and they watch movies, but they don't collect the information from them yet. They're, they're not capable of really absorbing a story. But when they do, this will be one of the first ones I show them because it, it was so important to me as a kid um and uh, it, it still is today it's there's there's i can't it's one of the most perfect movies that has ever been created next to like maybe back to the future which i think is another perfect movie um i can't think of anything wrong to say about it it's just that great no i i would agree um th this this was one of those films that um i i had a list of like 10 potential honorable mentions and et was one of them um, this is one of the films, again, my, my kids are a little bit older than yours. So I have three boys, 14, 12, and six. Um, we actually sat down and we watched ET during quarantine. So within this last year and, and we watched it as a family and it is a movie that, um, 
I, I agree. I cried at the end like a little bitch. And, 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 and I was okay with that. Right. It, it, it is, it's an amazing movie. It really does capture what it was like to be a kid in the eighties. Right. Cause we, that's, that's where we were. Right. We were, we were born in, in what 76. And so in, in the mid eighties, we were about Elliot's age, um, you know, may, maybe a little bit younger, but um, it really resonates with us. Um, my kids love the movie. I, I probably hadn't watched it in 15 or 20 years and it brought every single emotion right back. I think you're right when you, when you say Spielberg is um, at, at the top of his game here. This, this is one of those that is just, it really is an iconic movie. Um, I would agree with you. I'm glad that they never made a sequel. I don't know that they ever could have come close it was cool to see that Xfinity spot for four or five minutes or whatever it was. Um, but I would agree that, that there's, there's no way that they could ever add to the, uh, to the glory that was ET. I agree. Good, it, good. it was tough to see that Xfinity spot because it just brought, like I, I, I've come to the you know realization and I'm comfortable with the fact that they'll never make a sequel to that and that, yeah. that, that they shouldn't. And then they sort of did that. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I just, I didn't feel right about it. Like I'm sure Spielberg had nothing to do with the next Finity commercial, but the fact that they got, you know, um, Henry Thomas back to do that. And it was just sort of, I don't know, like I, I would have rather have not seen any of that ever because it was just so sacred and it was so special to me that um, I, I, I just didn't want anything. And that's, it's the one, one of the few times in my life where I'm like, I just don't, I I love it so much. I don't want him to screw it up. And there's so few examples of a movie that does as well as ET did and is as revered and as beloved as that movie. And they never made a sequel. Like it just doesn't happen anymore. Everything yeah. gets a sequel. Everything gets some sort of a spinoff or some other story. And, and this one never did. And I think that I, I hope that they continue to preserve that the way that it deserves to be uh, preserved. Awesome. That's All a right, good list. So That's yeah, good stuff. yeah. I, I really like that. I think we did good with this. <laughs> we did. So, so like, like I said, I, I had, and I still am looking at it. I still have a, a list of 10 honorable mentions. I'm certainly not going to go through 10. Well, rip um, them off, man. Do whatever. This is our podcast. Well, we can do it. Okay. So, so here we go. Okay. So I, I will, I, I will, I will rip off the first seven real quick. Okay. And then I'll talk just briefly about the last three. Okay. How about right. that? Good. Um, so, uh, Beetlejuice, 1988, uh, My Cousin Vinny, 1992. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, I had Beetlejuice in here twice. <laughs> uh, the Goonies, which we talked about, E.T., which we talked about, uh, Wanted, 2008, which was an Angelina Jolie movie, which I thought was amazing. Uh, Spaceballs, 1987, which, again, is a comedy, and it's just really, really difficult to, to make a sequel to a comedy um, that is very good. So, okay, so my, my, my top three honorable mentions. Um, and let me, let me just clarify. These are movies that never got a sequel, not necessarily movies that were not part of a franchise. Okay. So I'll <laughs> I, I was, I think I might know what one of these is because I was going to try to do that. I was going to do a movie that was a sequel, but never had a sequel. Right. Exactly. So, so I've actually got two of those, two of the three I have like that. I guarantee uh, no. I know one of them. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to put five bucks on the fact that I know one of them. And I already Freddy versus Jason is the that, first. That was it. That was the one. <laughs> so 
I, I obviously, if you know me at all and you know Pip at all, we are huge horror movie fans. Freddy versus Jason is is about the everything that is great with with the the other site that we started, ScareTissue.com. It, it brings together two of our passions: Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street series and Jason Voorhees from the Friday the Thirteenth series. Um, I, I don't know that it was necessarily a great that 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 great battle that we at all hoped for. But it's a great horror movie. It is a standalone movie. I think it is wonderful. I think it's highly underrated. In fact, I always put it in my like top 10 all-time horror movies. Um, and again, part of that is because of the, you know, all of the baggage and the backstory that I have from, from those two franchises. But I just absolutely love that movie, the way they did that crossover. I think it's probably arguably one of the best crossover movies of all time which is another podcast that we could do um but i'm but i'm bummed that they never that they never came back to it i thought freddie versus jason was awesome i thought for sure that they that they would because it did well financially it did very well yeah. at the time but i think it's a matter at, at that time it was a matter of it went through so much development hell for for yeah. for well over a decade i think at that point that i just don't think that they had the energy to try to figure it out. I, I think Robert England was sort of at the end of his tenure playing Freddie. Yep. Like I think he was done with it, honestly, but <laughs> if they had done this movie 10 years earlier, I guarantee we'd have had at least two more movies, at least yeah. two more movies, because there was so much that they could have done with it, that they just never really had the energy to do. And, and I think that they properly recognized that you can't, you can recast Jason as many times as you want to. I mean, I, I still think Kane Hodder is the best, but yeah. I, I mean, I think the guy who played Jason and in, in the Freddy versus Jason did a great job. Great. Yeah. I think it was fantastic. You can't recast Robert England. You just you can't, can't do, it. do it. They tried it and it, it, it failed. Um, even though they tried to reboot it rather than a sequel, you just can't do it. I think that the character of Freddy Krueger is going to live and die with uh, Robert England. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, good, good choice. Great. I actually had that. I bumped that from my honorable mention list, but it was on there as sort of a trick of uh, being a, a sequel without a sequel. Okay. Uh, and then I get, and I got two more and then I'll let you do your honorable mentions. Uh, number two would be cabin in the woods, which is a 2011 horror movie. Solid. Um, I think so. So this is one of those kind of meta horror movies in that it's, it's a, it's a horror movie that is that, plays on every trope of horror movies but then kind of flips the script right um I, I think they did a great job i think probably the reason that they haven't made a sequel to it if and I, i'm gonna spoil the hell out of the movie but like at the end of it basically the world ends right so i, I don't know that they could necessarily make a quote sequel to that movie um, and then and then my last one is is the the newest movie on my entire list it is 2018's solo a star wars story i loved that movie i know it gets a lot of hate from star wars nerds it came out at a weird time in the star wars universe um it's not harrison ford who is my all-time favorite star wars character but it's a it's a great movie and it left a lot of things open and i really hope that one of these days we get a continuation of that story, whether it's a straight up sequel or they tell that story in other Star Wars, whether it's a show or another movie. I, I, I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. 
Those are, those are all really good choices. Hard to sort of recap all of them. Um, I'd say with solo, I, I think that, I don't think we'll see a sequel to it just because I think they're going to focus their efforts um, uh, in, in different ways with the Star Wars universe at this point. I think they considered that to be a failure. I, I, I don't know that it was. I don't think the movie was bad for me personally. I don't, I, I, it's not my favorite. Um, I, I think it had some really great moments, but there's not enough in there to make me want to revisit it. I think putting Woody Harrelson in a Star Wars movie just really throws me off for some reason. I don't know. I, I think his his part was miscast a little bit, but I don't disagree. He, yeah, I, I don't disagree. He did at a all. bad job. I just don't think like I, it just when you put an actor who's so big in a Star Wars movie that that is sort of known for other things like it, it does sort of take you out of it a little bit i think or it took me out of it a little no i i, I agree with that wholeheartedly um and you know amelia clark was in there too and you know of course she's Daenerys from from um the thrones flick right or the, the game which of thrones, i never yeah. watched right and so i know she's probably more well known from game of thrones surely but but to me, that one didn't take me out nearly as much as Woody Harrelson did, right? Woody Harrelson, to me, yeah. you know, he's he's from Cheers, and I know obviously he's you know he's he's going on to do other things, but oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree that that one took me out a little bit. Um, he was I, too I big for the that. Fact, what's but that? He was too big for that movie, I think, or he was too especially for that role. Yeah, customized if that's the right word. But like Donald Glover was was brilliant as Perfect. Lando. He was amazing. Perfect. He was spot on. If they if they just focused the movie on the two of them working together, I think it would have gone a lot better, honestly. But I mean, it, it wasn't a bad movie. It just, it's some of it was a little contrived, but I mean, I don't know. We could do a whole, we should save a podcast for our, our favorite or maybe least favorite Star Wars movies. That would be interesting. I, I've, I've added uh, three or four episodes to our rolling list during tonight's show. <laughs> nice. I can't <laughs> wait. It's so much fun. All right. Um, what, uh, what do you got on your honorable mention, sir? Okay. So, so uh, my first honorable mention is another coming of age movie that has a fantastic score, or at least selfishly, I think so. 1985 directed by Joe Dante, who is famous for the Gremlins uh, franchise. This movie is, is, a movie that not a lot of people know and probably not a lot of people care about. But for me, it was just one that I revisited constantly over and over. And it was a movie called Explorers uh, starring Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix and a, and a kid named Jason Presson, who I don't really think did went on to do much else. Uh, the score was by Jerry Goldsmith, who's, who's an amazingly famous and talented composer, did a ton of stuff. Um, just about a, a bunch of kids. It's it's a really bizarre plot. It's a bizarre story, but it's very 80s in, in its true essence. It's a, a bunch of kids or it's a group of three kids who came together and figured out a way to use a computer to go into space. Basically, they uh, they, um, you know, created this this bubble uh, that, that could um, take their tilt a world that they found in a in a junkyard up into space and they met some aliens and and again like the movie doesn't hold up it's not a great movie but it's one that when i watched it as a kid it it, it was so much fun because it was about a group of kids that were really close friends that went on this great adventure together and those were the movies that really appealed to me at that age and that was a movie that i i don't think it's a great movie but i think it's one that i definitely wanted to see a sequel to but um you know at this point do i want to see a sequel i did as a kid but I, at this point i'm good and obviously yeah. 
Herbert Phoenix wouldn't be participating. Um, uh, so that'd be that. interesting if he could. This last one is my only comedy on this, and this is a bit of a stretch, but it's one that I would absolutely love to see a sequel for if they ever got the balls to make it. Uh, from 1989, uh, director Jay Levy. This is starring Weird Al Yankovic. This is UHF. Uh, nice. This is nice. this is another very very cult classic movie. Um, this movie did not do very well either. But Weird Al, Michael Richards from Seinfeld fame uh, before he had any Seinfeld fame, and uh, Victoria Jackson from Saturday Night Live. Uh, this was the film film vehicle for for pop culture icon. Yes, I will repeat that pop culture icon, Weird Al Yankovic, uh, and a cast of zany characters who are trying to run their own UHF uh, television station. I watched this movie so many times as a kid because I I grew up a Weird Al fan. I loved Weird Al. I I really connected with his sort of highbrow level dad joke style of comedy. Like that's that's how I would describe it. I think he's brilliant, and I think that. Um, what he did for pop culture as far as music uh, was, was fantastic. And I think it, I think his humor translated really well into film. I don't think that everybody was ready for that. And I don't think, um, I don't know, like, I, I think there's nothing about the film that wasn't sort of genuine to the way that he created music. Um, so I loved it. Would I like to see it? Yeah, I would love to see it. I could e I could even see it happening just because I feel like Weird Al is, um, He's still sort of in the cultural zeitgeist in some way, I think. Yeah. Like he's not making albums. He's not making new material like he was, but he's still getting pulled into stuff left and right. And and nobody, the, the unique thing about Weird Al is that nobody does what he does. Like nobody does. He yeah. doesn't have like a thousand imitators doing what he does, trying to sort of uh, grift off of what he's doing. He's the only one. So I think that there's, I just don't think that the movie ever made any money, so I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I know people ask him about it all the time because he's talked about it in interviews. Um, so I don't see studios biting on this, but I, it, it's interesting. It, it would be fun to see what would happen if they brought all those characters back and did another movie. You know, it would be interesting. Um, and I'll tell you, just a word on Weird Al, that dude is crazy, crazy talented you're right there there's not anybody else that does what he does because what he does is really really difficult i mean i know it is it is considered comedy and what ha but that dude is a straight up artist what he does it's it's he he's got a crazy amount of talent yeah absolutely and the combination of of the way he does it and and the character that he brings to it and the fact that he does it all with accordion based music is just it's too weird and too zany to be able to replicate anything like that. And I don't think anybody, I don't think he gets enough appreciation or adulation for, for what he does because it's all based off of comedy and it's all based off of the fact that he's riffing off of other people's material. But, but I guarantee if you took a pop song and sat down and tried to write a funny song to it, it, it just wouldn't work the same way that he yeah. does it. And, and he's a good singer too. He's underrated he as a singer. I think he, he he's got he's got the pipes to be able to to do some of that stuff. And I what I really love is when an artist I respect does a subtle nod somewhere to Weird Al. Or there was a point in time where bands didn't feel like they were famous until Weird Al would parody them. And, yeah. and that's just sort of like a, a stepping stone into your musical career. Right. So like Weezer, um, Weezer did uh, the, the when they covered Africa by Toto, they put Weird Al in the video and Weird Al was the lead singer 
in the band that's in that video and and uh it was oh, that's just great I didn't know that that's cool yeah go for anyone who's uh interested go google uh, or go to youtube and watch the the official video for africa and it's it's weird al doing the whole thing and he's dressed up sort of like rivers cuomo which is really funny but it's not rivers and um and it's just it's cool to see like bands like that give nods to give a nod to someone like weird al that's because really I, cool. I think he's highly underrated as, as an artist but anyways, that's our list, man. What do you think? Uh, that that was fun. That was I, I imagine this is one of our longer podcasts, and I don't care at all. This no. was amazing. Um, and, and again, it's like as we as we continue to do these, um, I I'd like to think that we're getting quote unquote better at it. Not that I really care, because to me, the the value of this is is getting to hang out with my brother and talk and. Uh, and 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 shoot the shit and reminisce and i and if there's if there's listeners great if not eh, great <laughs> i don't really care in in a world of a pandemic this has really saved my uh, mental yeah. stability uh in a lot of ways and we haven't we've just figured this out recently we haven't seen each other in two years which is in eternity it's, as far as i'm concerned yeah that's we're, we're gonna have to remedy that very very quick we, we were yeah we were gonna i was gonna i was actually gonna go to to indianapolis for the Royal Rumble, and we, we had some stuff on the home front that that made that not happen. Uh, Matt obviously has, as if you if you follow the, the blog, has come to Cleveland for for a gang of WrestleManias over the years. I'm not sure if we're going to make that happen. We we have been um, we have watched several pay per views uh, via Zoom, which which has been a, a decent replacement, but uh, but certainly not as good as as getting together one on one. So. We, yeah, that, that two years, that, that time continues to tick away and we, we need to remedy that sooner rather than later, for sure. Absolutely. And we will. All right. So uh, once again, this is, uh, this is Chewy. I'm, I've been joined tonight by my brother Pip and this is the, uh, the 411 from 406. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, folks. Adios. Tick away and we, we need to remedy that sooner rather than later, for sure. Absolutely. And we will. All right. So uh, once again, this is, uh, this is Chewy. I'm, I've been joined tonight by my brother Pip and this is the, uh, the 411 from 406. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, folks. Adios. Uh, this is Chewy. I'm, I've been joined tonight by my brother Pip and this is the, uh, the 411 from 406. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, folks. Adios.